Hey guys, just a quick one to let you know that Give It The Beans or Get In The Bin wrist straps are now available to buy. All you need to do is head over to vwz.com and you can pick up your pair today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode guys and remember whatever you do, wherever you are, Give It The Beans. Hey guys and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans and it's my absolute pleasure to bring to you uh, an old educator friend of mine that I uh, learned a little bit of my craft from uh, back, I think it was five years ago, um, is Rachel France. How are, we, how are we doing, pal? Yeah, really good. Interesting times, but the luxury is I get to uh, see you online, which is fantastic. <laughs> That's why I, I knew when there was a lockdown happening, I said, now, for those of you who don't know, Rachel is a very busy lady, and she'll tell you all about it soon, but I knew if there was one opportunity that I would get to get on the podcast, <laughs> it was pretty, that everything was pretty much shut. So listen, I'm going to shut up for a wee while. What I would like you to do is give the listeners a very thorough, detailed introduction, who you are, your journey to date, what sort of biomechanics education limited is all about. That would be fab. Well, my history has always really been in movement, um, even from a youngster. I was at school, not academic, I was told that constantly by my teachers and that's an interesting, had an interesting impact on me in my journey, but I was always involved with dancing, I was a Latin American and disco queen, I would push the sofa back in the front room, and then from about 16 years of age, my mum and dad, who were from dad's rugby and athletics, mum was a contemporary dance teacher, um, we got into the gym. There's a little gym, interestingly, down in Loughborough, which is just 20 minutes from us. And at 16, I had a, the gym owner come and approach me and say, oh, you should do bodybuilding. You know, she happens. Uh, and by the way, I have never performed any bodybuilding competition, so uh, that never went in that direction. But I was kind of intrigued. Um, around about the age of 21, I got a phone call to say do you fancy joining us in Greece one of these dance girls that they had a dance troupe broken a leg I'd never really had any formal training but I stick my hand up to everything so I found myself over in Crete and um, on the stage learning dance routines I, I wasn't that good but I just you know got involved it was moving and uh, I came home kind of six years later after traveling around Tokyo and Hong Kong and actually ended up running my own dance agency so I think that's really where it all changed for me because it became an opportunity to convert into um, a living. Um, but at that point, I hadn't realised how much and what direction I was going in. So when I came home, I got involved in the care industry, which again, you know, um, counselling, caring for others. I was working with disabled and elderly, but that kind of empathic sort of journey really evolved into uh, a lot of what I do now about 10 years and during those 10 years I gathered all my regular qualifications gym instructor um, you know uh, sports massage but I got a real fascination for bodybuilding specifically because I'm talking this was about 30 years ago so <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm 52 next year and then so back 30 years ago bodybuilding if you were female and turned up you got a trophy it just wasn't a thing to be female and to bodybuild, but I loved it. I was fascinated by the way lifting weights had started to change my physique. I was a scrawny kid. Uh, I still may see myself as the scrawny kid, um, but bodybuilding or strength training, which back then it was just bodybuilding, 
isolation work, you could see the changes happen. I felt good, gave me confidence. And I was watching bodybuilders, you may or may not have heard of some of these, like Susie Curran, who was probably one of the first big female physiques who still looked feminine. So um, I also really got fascinated by Monica Brandt and Kelly Ryan, who were the fitness competitors back sort of in the late 90s, probably. Um, Whereas today, bodybuilding, you enter the female comps, you're in amongst 40 people. (laughs) It's just, I don't know who the girls now. But um, that sort of special interest of going to a bodybuilding competition, seeing 10 people on stage at 4% body fat, all doing a lap spread, and they're all completely different. I was like, wow, this is just phenomenal. And it's one of the controversies around judging bodybuilding competitions is you have a genetics that you would struggle to change massively without assistance. Um, and I'm aware there's kind of two sort of arenas to bodybuilding, sort of tested and untested. Yeah. Um, and I think both have their place. But anyway, we won't get into that too much. Um, but the idea that sculpting the body has certain limitations, and I think that's what we're going to get into, is what can we do within our parameters of genetics? So it started to initiate this a fascination, and I do have a special interest in biomechanics, uh, human movement of the body. But my non-academic background meant that to learn it and eventually teach it, which is what I do now, I had to find simple ways to understand it, absorb it, retain it, and then have a way of making it applicable in a gym. You know, yeah. we, we, the, the body is a very complex um, piece of, you know, subsystems, if you like, we can go into shortly, but bones, the muscles and the nerves, the way they interact, um, make up the body, it's very complex, we can get really complex, but in simple terms, a bodybuilder wants to grow. How do I make the body grow? What are the training principles, um, which you will be able to obviously be able to share with the listeners more than I can, um, about basic training principles over your blogs and your, your kind of articles and the things you put out. But where I'm interested is where it doesn't work, how we identify that, and then how we help a lagging body pot grow or gaining symmetry. So through my interest in biomechanics, I was very lucky to meet a childhood physiotherapist who'd done a whole stack of research from um, his interest, again, in biomechanics. And as a physiotherapist, he was trained to react to problems that had already happened. Yeah. Um, and so what he wanted to do was to create a system that actually addressed them before the injury occurred. So he and I worked together, we still do, that was from about 2006, um, and we, we developed education from the research he'd done as a physio and in labs and in his gym. And that's what I'm doing now and have done ever since, and it's just grown and grown and grown. And what, what I've maybe slightly frustrated by is due to the commercial aspect, I've been down the route of sports coaches, training sports coaches and personal trainers in how to apply this model of assessment and improvement. And when my real passion and interest is in bodybuilding, which is why I was so excited when you asked me to do this blog, because I finally, I can talk about the real niche area that, that I personally am really interested in. And I've worked with a few bodybuilders 
um, from all sorts of um, arenas and backgrounds and levels uh, that have been on stage and had some stunning results. Um, anecdotal, yes, but I can share some of those with you and hopefully the listeners will take away some ideas on how to improve their biomechanics so that when they're on stage, the glutes pop, the hands and the quads have symmetry, upper body, lower body symmetry, which I think we're going to get into. So fundamentally what I do right now, what I'm really passionate about, is educating professionals like yourself born uh, to then pass on the luxury of the information I was, I was taught and have learned over three and a half decades to be able to help people, uh, both bodybuilders and anybody who just wants to move better, yeah. in how to look after their body and you know create both aesthetics and health through understanding the biomechanics. So, you've certainly been through the mill that's what they say but I think that one thing that spurred me on to doing you guys' course was I worked with a, a biomechanics coach in Graham Temple uh, back in 2014 um, having a lot of issues that uh, a lot of bodybuilders have today and it was kind of through working with him those issues became alleviated I did your course and again things got better and now the issues I had back then uh, I'd like to think say I don't have them anymore um, I might still have a lower back but that's a lower back pump because I'm very heavy and on a lot of food right now <laughs> versus my glutes are really shit but what I would say is that I remember sort of from your from doing the course and there'll be a lot of listeners out there as well that I was kind of amazed when you taught me that when once when one thing in the body's off everything's kind of off or something else is off and and this can kind of come down to whether it's pain, whether whether something's not firing quite as much. But for anyone out there that's kind of heard that statement about, well, Vaughn, what do you mean by that? Could you kind of give them a little bit of context of, of what we kind of mean by if one thing's off, everything else is off? Yeah. Um, I think one of the challenges in bodybuilding, because it's known as isolation work, so the, the, the history of bodybuilding is you want to grow your biceps, you do bicep curls. You want to grow your back, you do, you know, bent over rows, lap pull downs, and that kind of isolated approach to growing body parts. And that is still relevant. Um, but when things go wrong or we, we don't have symmetry, um, obviously it can be genetics. I mean, we can, you know, there's not a lot we can do about genetics too much. But um, if there is something in the body that's not contributing to movement it can impact on everything so the body is an integrated system um back when i was a kid there was the old song what your, your knee bones connected to your <laughs> you know yeah. um, and really truly that's how the body works you, you've technically got um three subsystems let's keep it super simple uh, for any listener um, so you've got bones the muscles and the nerves bodybuilders tend to have a better knowledge around the muscles um, we learn a little bit about the levers, which is the bones. We don't talk a huge amount about the nervous system. So I want to talk about that a little bit. But just to try and give the listeners um, some examples on how, just to give you an example to appreciate how the body links together. And it might make it a little bit more obvious. So if you think about the just the action of walking, when you walk and you step your left foot forwards, generally your right arm will swing forwards. And then when you step your right foot forwards, the left arm will swing forwards. If you tried to walk with the right arm and the right leg forwards, it would feel really odd because the, the system doesn't work that way. The system works in 
a, a kind of a chain of events, uh, rotational if you like, in the act of walking. And as your heel goes down, there is a shock that goes up through the body and, and you, this sort of system of muscles, bones and nerves create rotational force that then rotates and swings the upper body, create momentum where we walk. Another simple example, if anybody's listening and has a logo, as you do, Vaughan, on the front of your left t-shirt or chest, if you have one on the front left and you take the bottom right side of your shirt or sweater and just tug it, and you'll see that the logo is moving, um, but you're not even touching it. And that's almost how the chains through the body um, can, can influence from one side to the other. To try and make it relevant in a gym, I want you to imagine that you are doing an overhead press. So you're pressing overhead. Now imagine if you were to try and relax your legs and your abdomen, you just let your belly hang out, uh-huh. and you were trying to press overhead, you would probably struggle to get the weight over your head yeah. because the, the bracing comes from the feet through the legs, you soften the knees a bit, and then corkscrew the legs into the floor, brace the abs, squeeze the glutes, press overhead. This is why personal training, one against coaches like Warren or these guys say these cues to you when you're pressing overhead. Come on, tighten up through the belly, squeeze your bottom, press, because uh, it's all interlinked. Anybody who's missing another great example would be if you're standing, so if you stand up right now, so get up and it's good for you to stand up, by the way, and the movement's deep, so everybody stand up, and then if you just roll one of your foot in, roll your right foot in as if you're pronating, and you won't be able to do that without your knee, your right knee rolling in. What I'm, will happen is your knee rolls in. I'm, you sitting, do I'm sitting down and that's happening. <laughs> and as your knee rolls in, that right hip will drop down. And as the right hip drops down, your spine will rotate, your right shoulder will come forward, and your left shoulder will rock back. Yeah. So these are kind of obvious little examples that if as bodybuilders or aesthetic competitors, however you want to describe yourself, it makes it easier to understand. Um, And through the fascial lines, even when you're doing a bicep curl, um, understanding how you need to control the the, the movement um, to be able to do the bicep curl. But I think what you're wanting me to get back to uh, as we go through this podcast is when things are not working, how we can take advantage of understanding the integrated system to improve areas that are not working the way we want them to, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. I think that the example you gave, like they're, they're very simple. That I have no doubts that when, when people listen to this, they will, especially my clients, they'll stand up, they'll roll their toe in, or they'll roll their, their put their foot, and they, they'll they'll understand exactly what you mean. And that's what this podcast is all about: is putting stuff across in as layman's terms as, as we can. I think when it comes to, to bodybuilding, the nervous system is being spoken about a bit more. I still think it's a bit poorly understood, but people mostly will speak about the autonomic nervous system sort of sympathetic the parasympathetic they don't speak about the actual nervous system that you know so much about so I, I think that as you said before or what this what this episode will be about understanding you know why we perhaps are experiencing some pain in certain areas or we can't initiate here what the next thing will be will be hugely valuable and hopefully there'll be a few take-homes that people can 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 use from this episode to implement into their own training their journey and, and get benefit from that but rather than me ramble on and I tend to do that as you will know, um, 
if we continue to fire on and think about it, I think we're just going to speak mostly about the, the lower body today, just because I'm sure this episode could go on for <laughs> for hours. So we'll be very, very specific. But uh, knowing that you will deal with a lot of clients that have pain, and particularly, you know, we you call that dysfunction, like lower body dysfunction, when a muscle's maybe perhaps not firing or working as it should. Someone that's listening to that has just went, Vaughn, what the hell what the hell does that mean? So if you'd be able to sort of tell the listeners that what's the most sort of common problems you'll see with clients in regards to the lower body, whether it's pain or, or whatever it is, where do you think it stems from? Like an example I've said is, you know, a lot of us will complain about a sore lower back when we're squatting, but we sit in our butt all day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm glad you've asked me that. And this is, I feel really strongly about this. And you're right, I could talk about this stuff all day. Uh, but what I need to do because of time limitations is just before I say anything, is come in with a caveat uh, or a couple of caveats. Number one, if you're in pain, you need to see somebody. Your body is talking to you and telling you you need to change something. Um, there is a difference between pain and, and stiffness, and so identifying which is which uh, would also be important. Um, but pain is good. Uh, pain means that your body is telling you, right, listen, Vaughn, you need to change something. Uh, you know, this area here isn't happy. And then it's what we do about that. So obviously, see a practitioner. Do not take uh, anything I'm saying as a cure or as prescription. I will give you some techniques um, that hopefully you can try out. And if you like, I actually created a, a video of tests and exercises for a bodybuilder um, we wanted some help online and we clarified that there was no red flags first and I'm happy to share that with you and the listeners. It's just a real simple video. So I think it relates to this really well. So pain is good, uh, but you do need to do something. Um, and it's not just about stretching and rubbing. Um, it's a bit more complex. Um, in my experience, sort of working with bodies over kind of three decades, uh, and that is that's actually a, a limited number of number of years of experience and it is just mine what i've found is very often the, the where you feel the pain is where the problem is if it's an insidious pain i it's crept up over time i you didn't have a car accident and get whiplash so i'm talking about the regular low-grade aches and niggles that bodybuilders gym users often say ah it's part of course it's it's accepted yeah it's common, it's not normal, and you can actually reduce your own discomfort by understanding how the body works as an integrated system. Um, go and see a practitioner if you feel you need to to get tested. But let me um, give some the lower body. With our lifestyles today, that you've highlighted, um, born about sitting. Now, sitting isn't actually bad for you. Um, any static posture for any length of time is probably not great for the body. The body is designed to move. We are hunter-gatherers who used to run, climb trees, carry saber-toothed tigers, squat on our haunches. And yet now, when you're in a sitting posture, generally you will pretty much always be in 90 degrees at the hip, 90 degrees at the knee, or thereabouts. What you're also doing is you're uh, applying pressure through gravity, pulling your body down, and crushing the tissues and structures of the bottom and the hamstrings. 
That will then press on the nervous system. So you've got a sciatic nerve under there as well, which is another common irritant to um, moving. And so what happens is the brain says, well, I'm not using these structures. I'm wasting energy. Let's put some more ligamentous. I'm trying to keep this super simple. Ligamentous lay down in there. We're not using it that much to reserve energy. And so they lose some of their ability to fully contract and relax them. I'm going to try and keep this really simple. So that when we get up and we do our deadlifts or our squats and we're trying to do hamstring curls, the glutes, the hamstrings don't feel like they're producing the same sort of power or sensation, or we're not actually getting the growth we want in those areas. Um, and so if we can understand how to address those, um, that can take pressure off the back because that sitting posture uh, in a kind of tilted, flexed lumbar position where the pelvis tilts backwards um, can load the back up and it gets grumbly if you like. Um, and the, the ligaments also get stiff. There's something known as ligamentous creep, which kind of describes um, that kind of forward round shoulder posture, stiff thoracic spine, stiff lumbar spine, so that when a bodybuilder gets up, if they have a desk job, actually they, they may be lifting with a, a little bit of uh, flexion through the back of the body. I'm, I'm laughing because so, I literally just <laughs> just pulled my shoulders back and sat, and sat up. Then down. That's a bad, that's a bad example. I mean, something really, really simple. If any of the listeners have got a desk job, um, I'm at my sit-down desk, so I can take the desk up and down. If you don't have a sit-down desk, you can have a box and just put your um, laptop or your keypad on top of the box or books, stand up for a period of time, squat down, fidget, move, take regular breaks. That sounds like, oh, what's that going to do? The, the smallest contributions that are consistent throughout your day will make a massive difference because the, the de degradation of our variety of movements throughout the day is why you're in the, the maybe the state you're in. And so by just contributing little bits and then doing your training in the gym and some other stuff that I'm going to share with you, um, you can over time gradually really improve the way your body moves. Um, so. Um, there are common issues, and I think probably pelvic dysfunction, um, hamstrings, glutes, I think we can talk about, uh, lower back. And I, I would like to add in, I know this is lower body, but there is a reason why I would like to add in stiffness in the thoracic spine, because there was um, some research done by a physio, uh, I think his name, I think it was Paul Chadwick, and he looked at the link, I think it was football, premiership football, the relationship between a stiff thoracic spine and a stiff pelvis and if you can get one moving, you can actually get the other one moving through the integrated system. So if you release the pelvis, the upper body can start to become more mobile or vice versa. If you get the upper body moving, the lower body will move better. So that's a really kind of good, um, and in practice, I've found that nine times out of 10, that works. So that's a really good uh, little tip. So I'm just trying to create concepts in there. Before, um, before I continue to pick your brain, what, someone out there yes. who's listening just went, what the hell's pelvis dysfunction? They're maybe not too sure what that is. So yeah. you able to just pop that across in layman's terms for those listeners that are unaware. Okay. Uh, now, I've got to be careful here because there may be, I'm also, there's, there's a technical aspect to this, and then there's obviously listeners who may not be technicians or may not be trained in the anatomy. So really simply, if anyone's listening, you can sit now, and if you just cross <laughs> one ankle over the opposite knee, 
and look at how high that knee is from the floor and then swap and compare with the other side, if there's a difference, it indicates that one side is stiffer than the other. So that's a really simple test you can do. What is dysfunction? It's when either the joint is stiff, the muscle is not fully functional, or the nerves are tight, or a combination of those. So when you are doing a squat, for example, and you get to a certain point and then your butt winks, um, which means that as you're coming down, your pelvis tilts backwards. You get to a point where the pelvis tilts under. Now that could be genetics in your hip design, uh, but more commonly it happens too soon because you have dysfunctional muscles that need conditioning, functioning, um, improving, and then I can teach you some of that stuff, or Volcan, or your joints are stiff, or the nerves are tight. And so um, dysfunction is like a group term for any one of those that are meaning your pelvis doesn't work as fully and productively and to a performance level that it has the capacity for. Do stop me if I'm getting too technical. No, that's (laughs) I think that's brilliant, because I remember... I remember when when I first heard that sort of back in the day, I was a bit like, "What does that even mean?" I was like, "I'm not, I'm not good at English. I'm not smart pants." But you, how you've broken that down is is tip top. Now, a lot of listeners out there will obviously, as bodybuilders, we want to try and get as big as we can for the most part. But if we if we are thinking about let's let's take females for example, a lot of females want to develop their glutes, but I'm sure you'll work with a lot of clients that have dysfunctional glutes we could say or you know you might feel see there's some complaints about they don't really feel them that well they, you know they do a leg press or a squat hip thruster and it's all they'll say it's all quads and and there'll be a lot of li- li- like females out there going yeah that's me because i'll work with them right but can you maybe perhaps tell them well is, is there a common reason for i mean from everything you just said there is common reasons but is there is there going down the rabbit hole more is there a further common reason of why that is a strategy that we can help to improve that sort of mind-to-muscle connection or or anything more that you have to add on that? Yeah, 100%. There are loads of reasons why. You know, there's genetics, there's lifestyle, there's there's the idea that it doesn't matter what we feel as long as they're growing. But I guess you're talking about the guys when, when they feel like they're not growing in the way maybe they should in relation to the rest of the body. So I hear you completely. I'm going to give you two of the most common examples I've come across. But again, just with a caveat, these aren't necessarily the root causes of each individual. These are just two common examples. So number one, there's a huge amount of research, which you've acknowledged earlier, in um, nerves inhibiting, sorry, tight nerves or tethered nerves inhibiting muscle function. So the nerves are the software of the body. The brain, uh, the nervous system from the brain, the central nervous system goes down the spine, out through the peripheral nerves in the arms and the legs, and they will tell your muscles who axons and neurons, we don't need to get into that, but the message tells the muscle how much tone or how much to contract and relax. If that nervous system, um, which is a structure, if you like, there's a sheath, the nerve and the sheath, surrounded by the myelin sheath, um, is pressed, uh, inhibited, uh, if you imagine there's a sticking point, uh, like you sit all day, then if the nerve is tight, it's not going to, the messaging to the muscle is going to be lost. So there's two ways to combat that. And uh, one way is to affect the muscle with things like muscle energy techniques, 
which you can obviously share with your listeners. Um, there's, there's a whole plethora of them out there, but there's one in particular that I really like, which is the 2020, where you do a 20% effort muscle contraction, hold it for 20 seconds and repeat. And what that does is it kind of, it's a contraction rather than a stretch, but it's very subtle. And in bodybuilding, it's kind of hard to believe, but you've obviously experienced it. Yeah. Um, but it just re-engages that muscle into fully contracting, relaxing. If we combine that with a nerve mobilization as well, and this may be where some of the listeners may not be so familiar, is to slide the nerve um, along its pathway using very slow, low-range um, nerve mobilizations, um, then that will then hopefully reduce that sticking point. So by releasing the muscle, mobilizing the nerve, really low-grade, safe, easy techniques done in the warm pre-warm-up, and then squatting, they can make the world of difference. Um, so that's one train of thought. Something else that um, is quite important that might be quite new to listeners, and I'm, I'm going to try not to be too technical here, um, but there is something they can research. There's something called the law of reciprocal inhibition. So what the hell is that? So that is where, in simple terms, muscles work in pairs on either side of the body. So if you imagine uh, the glutes at the back and the hip flexors at the front, and they work in synergy with each other, and when your glutes contract, there is a law that makes the hip flexors lengthen so that your body can move in the way it needs to. So if the hip flexors didn't lengthen when the glutes contract, you get injured. So it's it's something that the body just does naturally. Same with the bicep curl, the triceps lengthen and vice versa. So this law means that if one side of your hip is problematic, and let's say it's the hip flexors, because we sit a lot, and the hip flexors are uh, over-engaged, tight, short, dysfunctional, they can inhibit what the glutes are able to do because they're sending a message through their contraction that the, the glutes are you know supposed to lengthen. I think did that all make simple it, no, sense? Yeah, it does to me. Okay. Yeah, it does to me. So that then the consideration of affecting the hip flexors to then grow your glutes, um, that's another really great technique to kind of consider maybe a reason why the glutes aren't growing. Yeah. I think that if anyone's listening on, say, Apple Podcasts or whatnot, watch this on YouTube because that little demonstration you've done with your hands there, visually, if you're a visual learner, you, you will get it straight away. But if, you, if you're if you just trying to pitch it without much education on anatomy, people will struggle. But what, how, how you done that there was spot on. And I can really, like, I always, like, will back you guys up because I worked with Graham and everything that you said we identified and i done, it worked. And I went from having really really sore lower back every time i did a movement all i felt was in my knees nothing and um, two i would say now like an rdl is probably my strongest movement like way stronger than knee extension and it should be but at the time i'd do an rdl and not feel anything in my glutes or amis. and it, and that's why i thought you know what of, of all the people i've got on the podcast i was like gotta get rach on because you're the one that taught grim but 100 percent when it comes to I think bodybuilders were lazy, and we'll admittedly say that, right? We'll we'll go ten like hundred ten percent. I will say we'll give it the beans on a hack squat, 
but we won't see value in doing the little things. But what I hope this podcast will do is motivate people to do the little things like you've said, because the link will be, well, if I do this, I'll grow my butt more. I'll grow my quads more. Whereas I think that even, I can admittedly say that years ago, I would probably be quite hesitant at first when I went with Graham, but then the more I invested in it, the better my contraction became. And then I thought, oh, I'm feeling it more. So my butt's going to be bigger. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I really love about bodybuilding, it will display how well your body functions. So when you strip down to you know low body fat and you get on stage, um, and this is just yourself. Don't look at anybody else. Um, you know, just thinking about yourself. And what you see, that is representative of your lifestyle. So if you sit on your butt, and this is one of the most common things, is ham quad ratio in terms of the symmetry. Um, so hands very often lack. Um, and so the, the tips that I've just given you will, will also um, help with hamstring growth. And this is one of the most common things that I've helped bodybuilders with is bad backs, hamstring growth. And it's everything I've just talked about. But the, 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 the exciting thing for me, it's exciting and frustrating, is exactly what you just said. It is very, very simple to improve your physicality and then see it on stage. I've done it, I've done it over and over with uh, bodybuilder clients, and um, I've seen it, and sorry, I'm not, that sounds really arrogant. I haven't done it. I've passed information on, and they've done it, because they've done all the work. Um, but even just um, by mobilizing the nervous system, and literally the first session, and uh, this guy, I never saw him, this was over lockdown, he's, he's a, in fantastic shape. Um, and I don't have his permission, so I can't give you his name. Um, but he was just asking about hamstrings. And this guy is phenomenal, huge, an over 90 category, beautiful physique, hamstrings slightly lagging. And I literally gave him um, the Foresight 2020 technique I've just described, hamstring nerve mobilization and isolated knee flexion loading. And again, I've got this in the video, so I'm happy to share it with you. And the first session he did, he said, oh my God, he messaged, he said, the pump I've got in my hamstrings is ridiculous. And he literally just did two or three little techniques just before he deadlifted um, and did some um, knee curls, like uh, standing knee curls. Um, and he's now telling me that they're growing. I've not seen the evidence. I've asked him with the evidence. Um, so you're absolutely right. But I think another thing that's really cool about these techniques that you can obviously share with them uh, more and more are you can actually do it while you're sitting at the desk. It doesn't have to eat into your gym time. And if you do them between sets, you can actually, instead of a recovery, you do a muscle energy technique. So effectively, it shouldn't take up any time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Is that how you're using it now? I don't know. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that I'll admit that it's I'll, I'll, I'm out of a way of doing them, but I see the, I see the value in them having had experience of doing them before. I'll just do them when and I see fit. Whereas before I ever did them, I didn't know what my glutes were. It was like, it felt like to fire. Whereas, whereas now, I can put, you know, two hundred forty kilos on the bar, do an RDL, and it's all glutes and zero lower back. So that those little things for me, that I'd done years ago, have identified why they should be done, and one hundred percent should be done, especially if someone is experiencing, as you said, lagging body part pain etc etc but 
if we if we were to continue, because I know that we're we're on on the, on the clock here, but if we were to continue to talk about lower body, there's a lot of guys out there and females as well. They don't just want a big butt; they want they want jack quads. But a common common complaint will be sore knees, sore knees, sore knees, sore knees. And it, it was for me as well. It was one of the, one of the things that stopped me. I pushed through it because I was just stubborn, right? But I, I sort of put up with it. But maybe maybe there's people out there that don't want to put up with it. Out of everything you've just said. And again, I know you maybe give a caveat and whatnot. The, the common things that you see within knee pain, within bodybuilders, do you think it's a case of maybe perhaps we're, we're getting too egotistical with the loading and we're not initiating with the quads? Or do you think it's to do with dysfunction? I think it relates back to a lot of what I've said already. And in the clinical world, the, the knee is known as the middle sister. Uh, it's very rarely the cause of its pain. The pain is often caused by the force coming from uh, problematic feet or footwear, there's this trend now to not wear shoes, um, and that's okay for some people, but for others it really isn't. So uh, just because Barry's doing it doesn't mean that Dave should do it, yeah. um, and, and that's you've got to get assessed for that. And then from the top, obviously everything we've spoken about coming down from the pelvis, the spine, and the shoulders, the descending force into the knees can also contribute to knee pain. Um, so. And again, I, I think you, you, you mentioned before we started this about sort of quad growth as well. So I just want to tie this all together uh, for the, the, the glute growth, quad growth, sore knees, because it all interlinks. Sure. Um, and these are really common issues that you brought up. So I snapped my ACL back to well, 11 years ago and went through rehabilitation. I hadn't had any knee pain, actually. Um, but the loading going through my knee was because of my flappy feet, if you like, my joints loose in my feet and a dysfunctional pelvis of the book, I think, it's a hypothesis. But, um, and so the, the, the training that I then needed to do would mirror what somebody with knee pain might consider doing. Now, again, the caveat, as always, is if your knees hurt, go and see somebody, please. Get your feet assessed, get your pelvis assessed. Um, but one of the most common misunderstandings is what I mentioned earlier about this relationship between agonist and antagonist. So an agonist is the muscle that you're training, the one that's contracting. So let's take the quads as the example. So when the quads are engaging, when you're knee extending, um, so you're sitting in the knee leg extension machine, um, then the hamstrings need to lengthen, um, and this, this relationship. Um, if your hamstrings are a problem, they can inhibit the growth of the quads. So if you want to grow your quads, sort your hamstrings out. You want to sort your hamstrings out, sort your quads out. There's a little bit of a thing there. The most common problem is sitting on the glutes and hamstrings and the nerves. So that first sort of caveat of do the muscle release on the back of the body, mobilize the nerve, and then work both sides. What we've got to consider as well is what's known as the quad to ham ratio of strength. So quads should, in a well-functioning lower body, be um, uh, 100%, if you like, the hamstring, sorry, should be 70% the strength of the quad. So quad should be stronger. Hamstring should be around about 70% the strength of the quads. Now, you could argue subjectively uh, sitting on a leg leg extension machine and checking the weight and working it out, but it, it doesn't always work that way because um, it, it's not a lab, it's not an evidence-based way of doing it. In simple terms, you'll know the, um, the quad dominance test where you jump forwards. Um, and it's a hopping test. Again, I can send you the video of this test. And it will identify if your hamstring strength ratio 
is down in relation to the quad strength. Um, and whilst the dynamic test is a good indicator um, of there being a, a, a lower, let's say 50 or 40% hand to quad ratio of strength. What that means is um, the pull on the knee from the quads and the hamstrings will be off. The quads will be pulling too much more than their comparative 70 to 100. And if the quads are pulling too much, they insert into what's known as the patella tendon, which is the tendon that goes down into the knee. If the quads are pulling on that tendon more than they should in relation to the hamstring, it can give you a sore knee. Yeah. Um, so that's a way. Just something else I would like to mention, then going back to the ACL uh, injury, which again, it can be quite common, uh, or any knee issue, is what's known as frontal plane stability. So for the listeners, um, sagittal plane, if you put your arms out in front of you, um, that is the plane of action straight forwards and backwards. Um, I always remember that because of the Sagittarius, the horse, the lower body horse. Anyway, so squatting is a sagittal strength move. Deadlift is a sagittal plane strength move. Um, there's a lot of training through the sagittal plane, even pulling. Frontal plane is if you put your arms out to the side of you as if you're doing like a crucifix shape. That's the frontal plane. So if you take your arms in and out, or if you sidestep to the right and the left, that's the frontal plane. If a bodybuilder doesn't apply strength training principles in the frontal plane, they can lose power or strength in the sagittal plane because the body needs to be stable in a squat in the frontal plane as well, side to side, because as your foot or as your foot uh, comes down, your foot's trying to stabilize you. If you lack strength in that direction, you won't be able to squat and deadlift as much. So, uh, yeah, okay, it may be a seated ab and adductor machine. I don't know about egos these days. I think they're coming down in that sort of aspect um, because of, in relation to function and um, reducing pain. But frontal plane strength work, so abnaduction work, um, whether it's a machine or a band or using body weight, strongly recommend it. It can improve your squat and deadlift kilo yeah, performance. I'm glad you said that because, I mean, even I do the seated adductor. You know, so, but, but you know what? See, four or five years ago, you never really got me on that machine. Whereas, let me give you a tip. Let me give you a tip. Sorry, I've just interrupted you. Okay. But a really, what I really like to do is try and think of a machine outside of the box. So if you're listening, if you imagine a seated abanaductor, tell me how you use it in a minute. But imagine kneeling on it and facing the pad, the seat at the back, putting your feet in it, and then pushing the pads with your feet instead. It maybe doesn't look so good. I don't know. How do you use it? Do you just sit on it? I just do it the normal way. Yeah, the... <laughs> The, the the other way that you suggested, I, I don't tend to program it in. I'll just tend to program it in, just sit in and I'd say just get for just get strong as you normally would. Um yeah. Yeah. but but four or five years ago, I mean, I guess I wasn't the only one that would kinda of think, ah, th those machines are those are kinda of like those are those are female machines when when whereas now I'm kinda of like I've got a pin extender on that, I've got another twenty plate, another twenty plate, I'm like, yeah, let's fucking see who can get the big, the biggest adductors out there. Because on stage, I think it shows when you when yeah, you when yeah. you see someone with awesome legs, 
they've got awesome adductors. Whether that's because they've done fucking loads of seated adductor or whether they just genetically grow, you know, like ridiculously, I'm not too sure, but um, it was one area I neglected for a while and I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. The, the reason I neglected it was because of my restrictions at the hip and I did a lot of work with Graham. When I do like four sign, my knees are just up here. <laughs> but my glutes and hamstrings are the strongest they've ever been and I don't get pain elsewhere. So it then restricts how much I can move the adductor out. Whereas I can jump on a cable um, and do like a cable version where I attach a cuff to my quad and can work within that sort of range. So I, I think I do it and there's a lot of male bodybuilders that do it now because of some of the top influencers from years ago that have amazing legs posted videos of them doing the seated adductor. But um, that's a whole different story. But one thing I wanted to do, especially because you've mentioned about an ACL tear, we know that there's a lot of listeners that do that from bodybuilding come from sport where they've maybe had an ACL tear. And it's something that I remember, I remember sitting in London and you were talking about it and you were speaking about, you asked the surgeon if there was attachment and then when they said yeah, you said no. So I just thought if there was anyone out there that has this, what seemed to be a devastating injury, just do you have a little bit of it, sort of advice from them, how you can work around that um, if they're in a similar position? Yeah, all the stuff we've said up to now, we've go back and listen to all of that. <laughs> uh, just, yeah. I'll answer your question in a second, but just remember the ab and adductor machine, two of your three glutes are abductors. Yeah. So, you know, just to layer that in. Um, and also, sorry, I could say so much. Um, if you have groin strains, hernias, your adductors need strengthening if possible. So your ab and adductor strength should have a ratio of one to one. Um, so, um, and, and this all relates to ACL. So, yeah, I snapped my ACL. I was training for my first full marathon, the New York Marathon. I'm, my distance has always been half marathon. Uh, I'm more of an endurance athlete, even though I like playing around with metal and rubber. Um, and I was at my absolute peak of fitness. I was doing 20, uh, my training run of 22 and a half miles was the longest I've ever run um, at speed. And I was doing that at around a six and a half minute mile pace which was just obscene for me because I'm such a slow twitch uh, muscle fiber genetic human being. Um, so I was really finely tuned, I think, and I think I was getting overconfident. And I was teaching a, um, a martial arts class and I did a jump roundhouse, jump roundhouse kick. And when I landed, uh, my left knee went in the sort of inward direction and I fell to the floor and it didn't hurt. So I just stood up or I went to stand up and it caved in again. And I thought, oh, that's not right. Still didn't hurt, went to stand up again, it caved in again, all right, okay, there's something really wrong here. Um, and within 40 minutes, I was with Martin, my physio colleague uh, in floods of tears. He said, yeah, you've snapped your ACL. So the ACL is one of your five ligaments in the knee. It's in the center of the knee and it crosses with the PCL. So ACL is anterior, cruciate ligament so some of you listening may be familiar with it you can survive without that ligament i have survived since 2009 without it and i opted not to have surgery and i'm not saying that that's for everyone but just to give you insight to my, my journey just briefly um i, I was kind of i did all the rehab um predominantly knee flexion uh, so extension of the knee first get the swelling down knee flexion work and this is comes back to growth knee pain and all the other stuff we've spoken about, I cannot advocate enough loaded knee flexion. So I'm talking about get your hips flexed, get on a seated leg curl machine, 
and then get them over as far as you can and leg curl. So really lengthen those hamstrings after the other stuff we've talked about. So I worked on that. I was on a treadmill after five weeks. Uh, I was obviously swollen and you know trying to get that down as much as I could. Um, after 10 weeks, uh, I was on crutches. Um, and within a short space of time, I was back to teaching classes. Now, I knew that the knee was different. And weirdly, the most important thing to me was kneeling on the floor and being able to sit on my heels. Because I knew if I could do that, then I could do all the things I wanted to do. So I did it in the August. I went to see my surgeon um, uh, on the 20th of December that year to have the surgery on the 23rd. And I'd asked all the people I knew, should I, shouldn't I? 50% of people said definitely do it. 50% of people said definitely don't have the ACL reconstruction. I did lots of research. Um, I'd obviously really, really gone all over the rehab. And I went out to see him, I said, okay, let's have a look. Now he showed me the MRI and I had a very tiny attachment um, of my ACL onto the PCL. And he said, um, you know, it could mean there's a bit of proprioception. I said, whoa, right. So you're saying I've got some connection between the, the you know, the pathway, the neural pathway. He said, yeah. I said, right, I don't want the surgery. I want, I want to see if I can train. He said, fine. He said, I'll tell you what, come back in March. So I said, I'll do that. And I said, if I can run a half marathon before March, I'll be saying no thanks. He said, fine. So I went away, carried on the rehab. Now, I wasn't back to normal by any means. My knee was still uncomfortable, it was stiff, I couldn't do certain things, it, it hurt occasionally, but I rehabbed, I did all rehab. Um, I ran a half marathon in around, I think it was just under two hours, 10 minutes up to two hours with my brother. So I went back in the march and I said, look, um, I, I, I don't want to have a surgery. And the one person uh, who helped me make that decision myself, because you own your own body, Nobody should be telling you to have surgery or not. They can advise you. One person said to me, it was Martin, actually, you could come out worse than you go in. Yeah. And that was really profound to me because I got to a point by the August to the March where I actually felt quite good. I was teaching classes. I was running. you know, And I thought, do you know what? To go through surgery and then go through all of that again, he was going to do hamstring graft, which meant I would lose some capacity in my hamstrings through the rehab, but the, the hamstring graft over the patella graft is preferable these days because you're less likely to suffer knee pain when you're kneeling, uh, is the experience that, that he told me, the surgeon told me. So I said, look, you know, I'm going to leave it. Um, I want to see how I get on. The surgeon said, it's an open appointment. And that was in March 2010. And I have no, uh, I probably took me a total of 18 months to feel normal and get onto my knees and get my butt onto my heels. Um, and I have no qualms that I made the right decision. Some people do need the surgery though. If your knee keeps giving way, um, then there's a chance you might need the surgery. I, I, I had a lot of help uh, for free from my physio mate, but I stood to the research. I did my research, uh, sorry, I stood to the exercise and the rehab, did my research, and then looked at my options and made the decision based on I could come out worse than I go in. I thought, right, I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I think that's great because there, it is quite common in maybe not perhaps bodybuilders, but I know that a lot of bodybuilders become bodybuilders because they've been involved in some sort of sport. And in sport, 
it's, it's harrowing, but it can be a career-ending injury for a lot of people, and maybe they pick up bodybuilding from it. So thank you for your experience on that. Now, one thing I always like to do with the guests that come on, this doesn't need to be related to bodybuilding, doesn't need to be related to anything to do with fitness, is just if you were able to share with us just the biggest lesson in life that you've learned to date, and maybe from that, any advice you would give anyone out there, um, what would that be and why? It sounds super relevant right now, and it might sound kind of fluffy, but um, under the current circumstances, a couple of things that, are, that really sort of have always stuck in my mind and I always come back to, it's really simple. It's a really small world, and life is really short. So be kind to as many people as you can, and it does come back to you. And that can be in many forms. In, in the way I express it is um, trying to share things that have helped me to see if I can help others. And by doing that, things come back to me. And it could be business relationships. It could just be somebody sent me an email this morning um, saying how much some of my anatomy blogs are really helping her through lockdown. And that makes me feel good. And it might sound like it's a selfish thing, but sharing uh, kindness particularly right now. Uh, so small world, life is short, be kind. I love that. Now, someone out there might want to see these vlogs or they might want to get in touch with you or, you know, check out your Instagram handle. So could you tell the listeners perhaps where they could do that? Yeah, uh, the any professionals out there who are personal trainers or body workers of any kind, www.biomechanicseducation.com is my website. For non-professionals, uh, um, Instagram is still at biomechanics underscore education. And I try to share as much positive vibes and uh, movement ideas as possible. Facebook, um, both Biomechanics Education is the business page. And then my own page I'm happy to share is now. I got married during lockdown. Oh. Rachel Francis Tolson. Congratulations. Uh, in there. Thank you. I, uh, I get married in two and a half weeks. Three, three, oh. three and a half weeks, yeah. We are. How exciting. Yeah, we and are. So of only having two guests <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we uh we're allowed 20 but uh, even that was a struggle to get it down um yeah. that's brilliant i didn't i didn't know that before coming on this podcast so congratulations but um yeah, I, congratulations I guess to you as thank well. you i guess i should say congratulations from the listeners but also thank you for all the knowledge bombs that you have dropped for them out there i know that from this they'll go away they'll maybe perhaps have a different way of thinking for now at least i hope they do because i was very sort of naive in my thought process years ago i would look at that stuff and go nah i'm not going to do it but at the same time those sort of techniques and what you described and said helped me grow my glutes and quads and hamstrings and and what i'm known for today so i guess a massive thank you for me as well yeah Final thing, if anybody wants to ask me anything, I do a live biomechanics Q&A across all of those social media platforms every Wednesday at 12 o'clock. Um, and so if they want to ask me anything, um, I do it visually so I can teach techniques, um, then just get in touch. Fantastic. That's awesome. So for everyone out there listening, please do go watch those lives. But I think I speak for me and Rachel when I say wherever you are, whatever you do, give it the beans.